Am I on? There I'm on. Well, are you ready for the word of the Lord? Let's stand up this morning. We're blessed to have pastors Doug and Eileen. Thank you. I'm thinking another thing. So, And Doug and Eileen Daniels, how many of you know where Lord of Hosts is? How many of you know there's a move of God going on? Amen. All over this nation, and we're blessed to have them here, and they're going to share from their heart. I know it'll be a blessing to us. But let's start our service like we always do. Oh, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with what kind of lips? Joyful lips.
joyful sound and watch walls fall down when you lift up a shout we're gonna sing that again we're gonna make it loud with a joyful sound and watch walls fall down when you leave some passion Yes Lord One more time We're gonna make it
the Lord, lift high the Lord, and rejoice. Lift high the Lord, lift high the Lord, lift high the Lord, rejoice. already won, you can't but help and laugh at the situation. You can't help but laugh at the circumstance. I don't care what my eyes tell me because I know what he tells me. I don't care what I read in the news on a website because I've read his word. Some of you need to find out what he said. Now what Fox, now what CNN, what he said. I see you taking ground. I see you press ahead.
morning we glorify and magnify the name of Jesus. The name above every name. Oh, we thank you at the mention of that name. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. We worship and glorify you. And we welcome you, Spirit of grace, this morning to teach us what we do not see. Let every heart be a softened heart. Good ground ready to receive the living word of God. And all God's people shouted, Amen, Amen, Amen. You may be seated. Before we receive Harvest Church's tithes and offerings, then at the end of the service, we want to bless Pastor Doug. Amen? I want to read to you a psalm from chapter 35 and verse 27. It says, let them shout for joy and be miserable. No? Let them shout for joy and be glad. Let them shout for joy and be glad. Who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually. Say continually. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now that just doesn't mean finances. That means your whole man, spirit, soul, and body. That means he wants you to experience his peace at all times. Let the Lord be magnified who hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Amen. So we shouldn't complain every day. We should praise every day. We should shout every day. You know, for so many years, Pastor Doug, this church didn't have a shout. It's back. It's back. Amen. Amen. Well, ushers, if you'd kindly wait upon the people, we're going to receive Harvest Church's tithes and offerings. And at the end of the service, as I said, we'll bless Pastor Doug.
We uh, have known pastors Doug and Eileen how many years? Goes way back to Cornerstone days. And I want to tell you something. I, I think Pastor Doug can get up and, you know, share what, what they do at Lord of Hosts and what's going on there. But the thing, the characteristic of these two people is that they have servants' hearts. And they're good and they're anointed to serve the men and women of God at Lord of Hosts. Amen. And so that always goes a long way with me. And you know what? It goes a long way with the Father, too. Amen. Well, welcome the gift in Doug Daniels. Amen. God bless you. Pastor Mike, appreciate it. Am I on here? Can you hear me? Why don't you come up here for a minute, Eileen, so you can greet the people, too. Maybe, maybe Pastor Mike will let you use that mic, since I, you, I don't know if you want to get that close to me that you... I don't know. I'm a shouter. You could probably hear me without the Yeah, mic. we maybe don't need it. So but. It's awesome to be here. I just am thrilled to be here in this congregation. We, one of the, my responsibilities at Lord of Hosts is to manage the greeters, and we have quite a few greeters. And one thing we notice is that there are people who come. Uh, they drive miles sometimes to attend, and they say, we have nothing in our local community. And you have something here. Yes, you know, I, I love the shout that's back, <laughs> yes. that's here. And I didn't know it was gone, but it's here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what a treasure. Harvest Church is here in Norfolk. And so yes. I, I want to just say that, and I just, I'm thrilled to be here. And anything else that needs to be said, he'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Eileen and I will be celebrating our 35th anniversary next spring. So um, I couldn't have done it without her. And so how many of you men know a good wife is a treasure and uh, will help you uh, to accomplish all that God has in your destiny? And, and I am excited to see her move into her ministry in greater measure than she's ever had in the past. But we've been on staff at Lord of Hosts for a little over five years, I guess almost six years now. And um, it, we are grateful, as Pastor Mike mentioned, to be called alongside Pastors Hank and Brenda to help them accomplish their vision, you know. And uh, I'm always proud to be connected to pastors that have strength to stand, uh, regardless of how hard it gets. You know, and I know Pastors Mike and Kathy have been through battles here. You couldn't have pastored a church for um, almost 30 years here, is that? Over 30 years without having some battles. It just, it comes with the territory. And I'm sure there were times that they wanted to quit. I know I've had times in my life in ministry, being in ministry for 25 years, uh, that I wanted to quit. But you know what? You just stand strong in God. And I just believe the best times are ahead for this church. It's getting greater and greater and greater. And, um, you know, this, I'll bring this up. Lifeway Research did a survey a few years back, and they found that the average tenure of a pastor in America is 3.6 years. That's how long they last at the average church in America. Aren't you glad that these people are here, and they're going to be here? They're not going to fly away in two or three years because the, the going gets tough. They're here to serve this congregation and most of all serve God and see God's move in this territory, in this region that the Lord has given them. So, amen, amen. Most Christians really don't understand that chain of authority and the importance of how God places pastors over a region and an area. And uh, 
and I believe the influence of this church, I just believe the Lord showed me that even last night as I was praying, the influence of this church may not be known as much to this community and this region as what God, I don't want to say it, as what God has defined for it or the purpose for it that you're going to see unfold over the next few years. It's going to be greater and greater. And I don't know what kind of fellowship, relationship you have with other pastors in this region, or if any, but I do know this, is that you're going to be elevated, you two, and and the Lord is going to elevate you above where you've been, and people in this region are going to start seeing you as the leaders that you are, called for this region uh, to bring the gospel to this region, and they're going to start looking to you two to say, Pastor Mike, Pastor Kathy, how are you doing it? What can I do to help serve? And, and it's going to inflate. So that, that's what I believe. I'm not sure that I said that exactly as I felt it, but I, I tried. So do you, do you get what I was saying, I think? So, okay. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Just uh, take a minute to, to just pray for a minute with me, if you would. Hallelujah. Se ko shuti di bi kitita satoma shori la la basuti. Aso ko shotanama si kataba shete. Thank you Jesus. We worship you Lord in this place. Oh hallelujah. Thank you Lord. We can do nothing without you. Oh Lord, this service is your service, Lord. I'm just your servant. I ask Lord that you would anoint ears to hear, anoint my lips to speak. I thank you Lord that the word of the Lord would come today for these people. That's the most important thing. Thank you, Lord. Who knows a Phyllis? Phyllis? Anyone know Phyllis? There's not anyone here by the name of Phyllis. You, you know a Phyllis? Your stepmother's Phyllis. Anyone else? I just believe, I believe the Lord said pray for Phyllis today. I don't know what your stepmom's situation is, but Father, we lift up Phyllis today, and I thank you, Lord, that you move in her life. If she doesn't know you, I... Say, ministering angels, ministering spirits, minister to her today, send laborers into her path. She may be encouraged and strengthened in you. If she needs healing in her body, we pray for that now. Blessing, we declare blessing over her in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone say this with me. Phyllis, be blessed in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I got one more thing. I'm just kind of waiting on the Lord to see if this is, if this is the right thing to do. Here, here's, here's what I, uh, I believe there's someone here today, or maybe there's more than one of you, and I don't want to embarrass you, but you've said recently in your heart, Lord, something that happened in the past has held me back, and I, I don't know if it was a relationship or even maybe a situation in your employment, but you, you've thought in your mind, if I could just get past that incident, I could really move on with God. And is there anyone bold enough here today that you'd say, that's me, Pastor Doug, I'm just, there's, okay, there's a couple of you. I'm going to ask you to come down from the sound booth and come up here. I just want to pray for you today. Because um, I believe the Lord's saying, He has something for you today. He does not want us to live in the past. 
You know, I think of Isaiah 43, I think it's verse 18. It says, Do not remember the things of the past, nor consider the things of old. And then verse 19 goes ahead and says, Behold, I will do a new thing, and it will spring forth. And here's the thing. You cannot look in two different directions at the same time. And if you're looking towards the past, and that's what you're focusing on because something happened that was difficult in your life, it's difficult to move forward into what God has for you to look to the future. So here's what I believe the Lord's saying to those of you that came up. Maybe there's some of you there that didn't come up and, and you still are facing it. That's fine. You just receive it today in Jesus' name. So what the Lord is saying is, Forget those things in the past. Now's the time to look forward to what I'm doing in your life. I have great, wonderful things planned for you. And 2022 is going to be the year for you. And you start looking forward and pressing into what God's assignment is for your life. And you'll move forward. And if there's something that needs to be forgiven, take time to do that. Make sure you forgive those that that hurt you or offended you in any way because if you hold unforgiveness in your heart, it only hurts you. It will not affect that other person that you're unforgiving towards. So that's so important. And then move forward, press into God and what he wants. Follow these pastors and take lead from them and you're going to see things unfold in a way that you've never seen before. So Eileen, come up here with me and we're just going to pray over these quickly. I won't take a lot of time, but Father, I bless her in Jesus' name, and thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in her life in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Father, bless her in Jesus' name. Command the blessing of the Lord on her. New direction, wisdom from above. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, bless her in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, you give her wisdom. Thank you, Lord. Direction. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Her steps are ordered of you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, bless her. She has a tender heart, Lord. I I thank you, Lord, for that. And, Lord, she wants to serve you with all of her heart. Now, Lord, as you minister to her, I say any wounds in her are healed in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit working in her life. And, Lord, that you minister to this one that you love so much. You have a plan and mighty things for her in Jesus' name. Father, bless him in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord Jesus. You direct his steps. Help him, Lord, to accomplish all that he's called to do in you. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I feel the anointing on you right now, brother. Just take it. Receive it. God's got a plan for your life that you know not of. Here's what I see with you. It's almost like... <laughs> How many of you ever seen those mouse traps that are sticky, that, that um, uh, it'll catch a mouse and their feet get stuck in it? Actually, it's kind of cruel, I think, the way that... They, but, but it's a mouse, you know. And so their feet are stuck and they can't move. And it's almost like what, I, what the Lord showed me with you is you, that, that to this point, in some ways, I don't know, but your feet were kind of stuck, and now you've broken free from that, and you're moving ahead into what God has for you. In Jesus' name, be blessed. Your, your what? Your grandma. We bless Phyllis in Jesus' name for grandma. Yes, thank you, Lord. Father, bless her in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for your work in her life. Thank you, Lord, for a tender heart. May you move, Lord, by your power and your spirit. Uh, do all that you want to do in her life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise God. Man, you have great ushers here. And the worship here today was so good. It was so anointed.
It was. I felt the Holy Spirit just move, you know, and uh, I'll save that to the end, maybe. I got one more thing to say, but we'll move forward because I want to make sure. Well, the title of my message is The Strong and Courageous Will Prevail. The Strong and Courageous Will Prevail. And the one song that you sang today really fit with what I believe my message is today, and so I thank you for just being uh, anointed and, and uh, being able to listen to the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you choose the music or how that all works here, but whatever. The United States Declaration of Independence was the pronouncement by the original 13 colonies that declared their independence from the tyranny that England was trying to force on them uh, under King George III. And on July 4th, the Second Continental Congress met in Philadelphia and adopted the Declaration of Independence. And these 13 colonies really regarded themselves as 13 independent states that no longer wanted to be under British rule. And so the Declaration of Independence is really the first step that these colonies took towards the formation of what we know as the United States of America. Those who signed that Declaration of Independence really exhibited some tremendous strength and courage that uh, we find rare today, if we understand the history of that. And so, but here's an interesting point. You say, why, am, why are you starting out with historical, giving your history lesson today, you know? So, but uh, here's the point that I want to make. The courage that led to America's fight for independence and freedom actually began a year earlier with the church. Most people don't realize that. It began with the church. Now listen as I give you a little bit of background information on the American Revolution. The battles of Lexington and Concord were fought on April 19, 1775, so it was a little more than a year before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. At the Battle of Lexington, 700 British came marching into town, and at that point, Reverend Jonas Clark said, my church will take care of this. Reverend Clark took 70 men out of his church, and they went out to face the British. That was the Battle of Lexington. And the biblical principles that Reverend Clark stood for and other pastors stood for in that time were a great influence on the cause for liberty at that point in time. And for that reason, the Reverend Jonas Clark was referred to as the pastor who fired the shot that was heard around the world. In the second battle, 300 Americans were there to meet the British at Concord. But this time, the 300 men were led by William Emerson, pastor of a church there in Concord. And the British said, this really isn't going right for us. We had 70 opponents at the last battle, and now we have 300 to face. And so the British army actually turned around, headed back to Charleston as quickly as they could go, and they had a 19-mile march. And as they marched along the road, there were 4,500 Christian people lining the streets as they marched back to Charleston. Where did all these people come from? Reverend Peyton Phillips brought his church out. Reverend Benjamin Boss brought his church out. And the same thing happened at the Bunker Hill battle outside of Boston. Reverend Joseph Willard 
pulled two companies out of his church, and he said, men, this is our town. Let's go fight for it. And so the American Revolution consisted of those kind of local battles. Today, 245 years after the Battle of Lexington and Concord, we're facing another battle. It's not the battle against the British tyranny, but it's against the corrupt, evil forces in our United States government, corrupt, evil in major corporations and entities, and a corrupt media. Today, those who are intent on doing harm at every level of society are doing it under the guise of a necessary global reset. They've collapsed businesses which have caused millions to lose their jobs. They've turned public schools and universities into detention centers and tried to strip them of their freedom to breathe air. They've attempted to close churches. They've terrorized travelers into wearing masks. And they've turned much of the medical profession into blind followers of their wicked agenda. And now they're forcing millions of freedom-loving people into choosing between being injected with a deadly experimental product or possibly losing their employment. We've had several in our church in Omaha that have come forward and asked for uh, religious exemption letters um, that we are offering them if they're members, and uh, I don't know, I bet we've had 40 different people that are facing termination in their jobs because of exposure to a man-made Chinese virus that probably, for most statistics, has about a 99% overall survival rate. doesn't make sense. This is a global agenda. We're seeing country after country around the world mandating stricter lockdowns and even proposing mandatory vaccinations for all of its citizens. And I I might be stepping on some toes here today. I don't know how you guys feel about vaccinations. That's up to you and God. You can just, I would say, do your research. And if you've already taken the vaccine and you feel good about it, then, um, you know, praise God. If you have any ill effects, I just say ask the Lord to to touch your body. And and he's here to do that. Amen? Amen. Because he's our healer. I would say just do your research. And I know you guys here at Harvest Church are very much aware of what's going on. I don't have to give you story after story about uh, news or or what's happening, but I do want to bring quickly two things, two stories to you just to, to kind of verify what I'm saying because I don't like to just give blanket information and then not give any facts to back it up. I'm not that way. I've just built the way that I am, so I, I have to give you facts. My wife says I'm too black and white. So, yeah. So, but um, if she could put up slide three for me, this is one example. This came from CNN November 19th. So it goes back, you know, a little ways, half about two, two, three weeks ago. But it said, Austria announces Europe's first nationwide vaccine mandate and reimposes lockdown as COVID-19 soars. Austria is going back into the national lockdown and plans to become the first country in Europe to make COVID-19 vaccinations mandatory for all its eligible people as coronavirus deepens, Chancellor Alexandra Schallenberg announced Friday. And then Schallenberg said his government would look to impose national vaccine requirements effective February 1st of 2022. So if you lived in Austria, um, you would be facing that by February. Let's go to one very more recent. This just came out 
you'll put up slide four. This came out on CNN News Source just a couple days ago, December 2nd. And it says, Germany announces nationwide lockdown for the unvaccinated. Germany on Thursday announced a nationwide lockdown for unvaccinated as its leaders back plans for mandatory vaccinations in the coming months. Unvaccinated people will be banned from accessing all but the most essential businesses. And it goes on from there. And I could give you several more. The entire European Union is discussing COVID vaccine mandates. And actually, Germany is basically the leader. And whatever Germany does, they'll probably all follow along with. Um, But let me give you another one. I don't have a slide for this, but the Times of Israel just published an article December 1st. You could look this one up. Coronavirus czar Salman Zarka said Wednesday that Israel should weigh introducing a national vaccine mandate compelling all citizens to get themselves inoculated against the coronavirus. So, in the midst of all this hysteria concerning mandatory vaccinations, I want to ask a question today. Why do all the studies concerning the side effects of the vaccine basically get ignored by the media? Now, we have factual information showing that countries with the highest number of vaccinated individuals are the countries that have the highest number of COVID cases and sometimes the highest death rates. But it gets ignored by the media. And I want to give you one more example here, and then we're going to move on. Um, But this one, I think, is pretty startling. This is not some overseas study that was done. This is the American Heart Association Journal. It was printed or published on November 8th. And they said that initial studies are already seeing a 25% increase in acute coronary syndrome, ACS, in patients who have been vaccinated. mRNA COVID vaccines dramatically increase endothelial inflammatory markers and ACS risk as measured by the pulse cardiac test. And they said at the end of the article, we conclude that the mRNA vaccinations dramatically increase inflammation on the endothelium and T-cell infiltration of cardiac muscle and may account for observations of increased thrombrosis, cardiomyopathy, and other vascular events following vaccination. Now, that study from the American Heart Association is very difficult to find. You can go to their journal and find it, but you won't go to media and find that they, that they put that study out anywhere. And this is from people that you would normally trust, the American Heart Association. I'm even surprised they put it in their journal, really. But um, the truth is, like I said, we have to do our own research. We have to stay informed. We have to speak out. If we stay silent, we lose. No doubt you've heard the indictment against some of the churches in World War II Germany. Some of the churches were located next to the railroad tracks. And they could hear the trains moving by that were transporting the Jewish people to the concentration camps. Here's an account of one of the congregation members from that terrible time in history. She said this, Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of the train coming because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews that were en route to their death. Their screams tormented us. When we heard the train whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing to the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. 
You know, the church has to stand today. We can't just ignore the plight. We can't ignore the threat to this nation. If we just stand in these four walls and sing as much as God loves us to sing, but we do nothing else, we don't take a stand, we don't take any action, my Bible tells me that we are not following his plan. It's wonderful to praise, it's wonderful to come together and worship, but in our sphere of influence, we need to be speaking out, we need to understand that if we lose the liberty to meet like this, if we lose the liberty to have and end up going to a concentration camp, I'm not saying that's the direction we're headed, but we can't just stand by and do nothing. That's why Pastor Hank was not able to visit here this year is because he felt like his assignment was to speak out to the nation, and that's what he's called to do, okay? Pastor Mike and Kathy are called to be here and take care of this. They're... they're, Let me say this because there's confusion sometimes in the body of Christ. We have to find our calling and our gifting and what we're called to do. When we stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, he's going to ask, not did you pastor a church or did you go on TV and reach people for the nations? He's going to say, Sally or Billy or Joe, did you do what I called you to do? And that might be being an accountant, taking care of the books, taking care of people's needs in accounting and being a good Christian, speaking out, letting your light shine. It might be an automobile mechanic. It might be pastoring a local church. It might be doing like what Eileen and I are doing. We're, we're, we're like an, a support, like an Aaron to a Moses. We feel like we're, the, we're called to support. I mean, Pastor Hank has told us himself, he says, you know, you guys could go out and pastor your own church if you wanted to. And we could if we felt like that was what, God wanted us to do. I'm actually glad he hasn't called us to do that. <laughs> but, but here's what I'm saying. My calling, and I know it, is to be there to support what he's doing and help lift their hands up and do what I can to help them accomplish. And your calling here, for one, one thing, is to help these people to do what they're called to do because that's who you're assigned to. So I kind of went off my message, but okay. So we have to stand. We can't just cover up evil. We're all called to action. Each one of us have an assignment. You know, and here's, Eileen mentioned it, and I'm going to just say this too because it fits right here, but um, we have a perspective that most of you would not have just because of what's going on at Lord of Hosts right now because of the national exposure that we have had, and I'm not bragging about it, I'm just saying that it's happened. We are getting, many weeks we'll have 30 to 40 visitors that come from out of town. And I'm not talking about they're driving down from Norfolk or they're driving from Columbus, Nebraska, or Grand Island. I'm talking about people that fly in from California, from Washington, D.C., from Oregon. From, we've had them from all 50 states. But I'm talking about we'll have, I would say, average 20 and many weeks 40. And we have the privilege of visiting with those people and talking to them usually uh, for a few minutes, the ones that we can spend a few minutes with. And sometimes... It's just, it's heart-wrenching to me, and tears will just come to these people's eyes as they're saying, Pastor Doug, we had to come because we don't have a church. Our pastors won't take a stand. They won't, re- they won't speak about anything that's going on in the culture. And why do I say that here? Because you guys are blessed here because you have pastors that are willing to take a stand 
they're willing to speak out on things that, that and believe me, Reverend Jonas Clark spoke to the culture. Or he wouldn't have been taking his men out to fight the battle that he, that he fought. And, and for some reason, the church in America has shied away from that and gone to the point, well, we don't want to say anything that might offend someone. We don't want to do anything that would cause us to look radical or extreme or whatever. But, you know, Jesus was extreme. Jesus was radical in many ways. He looked radical to the Pharisees, didn't he? Okay, I'm getting way off. Our culture really is only as strong as the church is. And throughout history, Satan has attacked the church in two ways. Here's the two things that he's done. First of all, he's attempted to corrupt and compromise the church. Secondly, he's attempted to silence anyone that would dare to take a stand. If we claim to admire and appreciate the benefits of living in a free country, while our rights and freedoms are being attacked, we have to fight back. The very things that our founders fought for and died for are worth defending. They understood that there's a time to stand and fight when justice and freedom are at stake. And so before we go any further today, I want to take just a few minutes to discuss the issue of Christians using Scripture to justify inaction, because I sometimes see that a lot. There are Christians who refuse to get involved in the battles that we're facing because they feel they must always abide by whatever the authority in the government mandates. And there are other Christians that feel we just have to sit back and watch because what will be, will be. Now, there are two main arguments the Christian spectators commonly use as their defense for not getting involved. And I want to put this up here. Misinterpretation of Scripture. Number one, God is in control, so I don't have to do anything. And then number two, I must always submit to the authorities. Let's look at those two things today. Let's look at those two statements. This is important because there are pastors that teach this, and you need to know why the biblical stand on it is not in agreement with those two statements. When governments attempt to regulate churches or worship and government attempts to mandate a vaccine that you feel violates your religious beliefs or government abuses people in order to force compliance like in Australia or even what's happening in Europe that I showed you, you have a right to push back. So number one, God is in control so I don't have to do anything. It's a misuse of scripture to say this. To use God's sovereignty to justify inaction while our nation is under siege. If God did not want us to have an active role in carrying out his plans, he would not have called us to action repeatedly throughout Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, he calls on his people to stand against evil and to stand up for those that cannot stand up for themselves. Jesus gave the church its marching orders in Matthew chapter 28. He's never rescinded these orders. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, I'll read it out of the New King James, says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he said he'd be with us always, didn't he? To the end of the age right after telling us to go in his authority. That tells me there's never a time when we're on this earth that we need to shrink from our responsibility and say, well, God is in control. If he wants someone to be saved, 
He'll take care of it. He's commissioned and empowered the church. In fact, he tells us in Ephesians 4.11, he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip who for the work of the ministry? The saints, us. We're all equipped for the work of the ministry because of that. We have to stand up for the rights to continue preaching the gospel. This is our time to shine. Who else has the answers to life's issues? Who else is going to have those answers if we don't? You don't have to spend much time in Scripture to find examples of courageous heroes in the Bible. Uh, David stood up against Goliath, and he won a great victory, didn't he? Esther interceded for her nation, courageously went before the king, and saved nine million Jews from extinction. Noah listened to God, didn't he? He was faithful to obey, and he saved his family and humanity from extinction. And John the Baptist... He called people to repent and turn to God. He certainly didn't sit back and say, well, I don't have to really do anything. God will win these souls for me. Eventually, he was thrown into jail and executed. But you know what Jesus said about that man? He said, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Well, that's an amazing thing for Jesus to say about someone. Of course, there are multitudes of other examples in Scripture of brave men and women who demonstrated the truth that God works when we work. God empowers us, doesn't he? He doesn't expect us just to sit back and wait. God gave us the authority over this earth and authority over the devil's works, but we have to step up and use our faith and our action to see victory. Okay, let's move on discuss number two, the reason or excuse that many take, and they would say, I must submit to authorities at all times. We cannot back down from God's commands in order to placate civil government. It's sinful to disobey God in order to obey a man's law. It's a misuse of Scripture to say, I must submit to my government's authority while we sit back and watch our freedoms being destroyed. Now, we've seen congressmen and judges and governors and mayors and local authorities openly encouraging lawlessness. And these elected officials celebrate those that break our laws, and then they try to make those that uphold our laws look guilty. And God does allow man to have free will and choice, and we can determine how we live on this earth. If we choose God's plan, we can walk in blessing. If we refuse to move into God's will, then we can take a path towards destruction. But God allows the same free will with rulers. He desires these rulers to follow him and follow his will, but most do not, frankly. The truth is that most earthly powers work to advance Satan's agenda. A believer in Christ has the duty to submit to earthly laws or regulations if they're in harmony with divine law. Say this with me. I am a believer in Christ, so I have the duty to submit to earthly laws or regulations if they are in harmony with God's divine law. Scripture is full of examples where men and women of God risked their lives in civil disobedience and stayed faithful to divine law. You'll remember the account of the three young Jewish men that refused to obey an order from King Nebuchadnezzar. 
to bow down and worship a golden image. And we're talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And my wife and I always laugh because when she was growing up, the family would try and remember those names, and they had this little, uh, what would you call it, a ditty, a saying, a little saying, shake the bed, make the bed, and in the bed you go. That's how they remembered it. <clears throat> but before they were thrown into the fiery furnace, they spoke to King Nebuchadnezzar, and let's look at Daniel three sixteen through 18, and let's see what their response was to the king. They said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you've set up. And of course, you know the rest of the story. Nebuchadnezzar was furious, and he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than average, and the three young men were bound and cast into the flames, and the fiery blast was so hot it killed the soldiers that escorted them to the furnace. And when King Nebuchadnezzar peered into the furnace, he saw a fourth man in the midst of the fire sent to save those three young men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out unharmed. In fact, the Bible says there wasn't even the smell of smoke on their clothes. That's amazing. Several decades later, Daniel faced a similar situation when a law was passed saying that no one could pray to any god except the king. For 30 days, Daniel calmly went about his business and did not alter his daily routine. He said, I don't care what you say. When Daniel learned the law had gone into effect, he went home and knelt down like he always did, but he even opened his window. He wasn't afraid that the authorities would hear him pray. He prayed three times a day, just as he'd done in the past, giving thanks to God. And Daniel understood something that a lot of Christians don't understand, and it's that the government had overstepped its authority by making a decree that no one could pray to God except the king. And here's the thing. Daniel was even an executive employee of the king's government. And that was probably hard for him to do. He probably thought, maybe I'll even lose my job. He remained faithful to the divine law rather than comply with human law. Daniel 6.16 says, The cost for his refusal to obey was high. You can move to that next slide. They brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Mm. Daniel's determination to serve God, however, met the approval of God, didn't it? So when the king opens the lion's den, he was amazed Daniel was there still alive. So listen closely to what Daniel's response to the king was. It establishes the principle that obedience to divine law always takes precedence to human law. Daniel 6, 21 through 22, Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. And I just think about, man, I've, if you got thrown into the den of lions you came out like that just listen to daniel how respectful he was he he said your majesty he he didn't lose any respect he still honored the authority that was over him but he just said you know what god did this for me he established that his god was superior to any man-made edict and that obedience to god's decrees takes precedence over every human law it's a principle of righteousness 
that the law of our God is to never be broken in order to obey human laws. Now, I want to take a look at one more scripture here that is used very often to justify submission to authority, and that's Romans chapter 13. You may be very familiar with it. It's a little bit of reading here, verses 1 through 5, but I think this is important to talk about today. Romans 13, verses 1 through 5, it says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Then do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. So Romans 13 is clearly a discussion of governmental authorities that are upholding godly civil law in a society. And it's important. We need that. In fact, verse 3 mentions that the civil authority is not something to be feared for those that do right. But it should be feared if we're doing wrong. Verse 4 says, if you do wrong, you should be afraid of civil government. And it establishes that it's okay in God's sight to punish those that do wicked deeds in order to keep uh, you know, society and maintain order in society, I guess is what I should say. <clears throat> so the Apostle Paul is directing his comments to obey the government that is attempting to do good. In other words, he's saying a godly civil government will publish evil or commend evil or compliment, I'm sorry, will punish evil and commend those that do good. They'll punish evil and compliment or commend those that do good. And since Paul specifically takes time to describe what a good government is supposed to do, it's a logical conclusion that these verses do not apply when a governmental authority excuses evil and punishes those that attempt to do good. Another portion of Scripture used by some Christians, along with Romans 13, is from 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 14. They're very similar to Romans 13. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is the head of the state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those that do right. So let's pretend here that Pastor Mike left the service today and he decided that he and Pastor Kathy needed a little more money for Christmas. And so he goes down to the bank first branch. He breaks into the bank. He starts to break into the safe, but he didn't bring quite enough dynamite, so he couldn't get the door open. But he made enough noise that the Norfolk police catch him. And they say, Pastor Mike, you shouldn't have attempted that. We're going to have to take you to jail. So they take him to jail. He goes to court and faces the jury, and they say, you're guilty. I'm sorry, Pastor Mike. You're going to have to serve a prison sentence because of what you attempted to do. That was wrong. Now, in that case, the system would be working as it should. That's exactly what should happen, right? I know Pastor Mike would never do that. I'm just using that as an example because I was trying to get you guys to 
have a little fun today and laugh with me or something, but I don't even know if I have a friend here today. Are you guys awake? Okay, I know I'm probably stepping on some toes here. I'm talking about some really things that, that are they're not easy, but um, is that okay? Okay, okay. But that's what civil authority is in place for, isn't it? To take care of those that do wrong and to compliment or commend those that are doing right. Let's look at this verse 14 again. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 14. Verse 14 says, well, I'm going to read the whole thing. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is the head of the state or officials he's appointed. And then the last part I wanted you to read for you to notice is, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. Verse 14, Peter clearly states that the governmental authorities that he's describing here recognize the difference between those that do wrong and those that do right. Does this verse say that the king sends authorities to punish those who do wrong and commend those to do, that do right? The answer is yes. Okay, I'm really driving this home because I want you to see this as we go forward. In other words, the assumption here is that you are living under a government that's using their authority in a godly manner. They punish the wrongdoer, and they praise those that do right. When this is not the case, and a tyrannical leader is violating God's law, you no longer must obey their directives. You obey God. This passage is not a blanket command to always submit to authorities in every situation. It's a general admonition to be applied under certain conditions. But you say, Pastor Doug, you haven't shown me any New Testament examples where it was okay to disobey my government. I'm so glad you asked. We're going to go there. Let's see what Peter, he just wrote this scripture that told us we needed to obey godly civil government, didn't he? Let's see what he does regarding honoring authority as we move to 1 Peter Uh, I'm sorry, we're going to go to Acts chapters 4 and 5. And let's see what happens when the authorities command him to stop preaching the gospel. This is the same Peter that wrote the verse I just read to you. Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29. Acts 5, 27. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But listen to verse 29 here. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. Peter knew that when the authorities took action to keep him from obeying God, it was time to obey God rather than man. Clearly, it was evident to Peter and John that the directives of human government that they were submitted to were contradicting a command of God. There came a point in the lives of Peter and John they had to determine they could no longer obey the government's demands and still honor their God. There came a point when obeying human authority would have robbed them of their freedom to obey God. Okay, we've talked about that common misinterpretation. I want to move on with my message here. Do I have a little time left? Are we okay? Okay. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. So, verse 10 tells us to put on the whole armor of God. It's a call to arms. It's a call to fight. Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He also told them, told Timothy, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ engaged in warfare. Now, we understand today that a Christian's warfare is predominantly a spiritual warfare. We know that we're fighting demonic powers like we talked about. And we have to understand this, though. We are both in a spiritual battle and that action is required on our part as directed by the Lord. In verse 12, Paul said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood or against individual people, but against principalities and powers. Principalities and powers can be at work in the visible structures in our society, state and federal governments, even the local school board. Of course, institutions can appear as being controlled by human influence, but actually they're manipulated by evil, wicked, spiritual forces. Today we live in a culture where traditional beliefs and values are under attack from the devil. These attacks are being waged from within the federal government, but also within the city, county, and state government and local school boards, like I said. Many are disguised by language such as alternate lifestyle or pro-choice. The devil's working in the minds and hearts of leaders attempting to destroy the fabric of morality. It's imperative for believers to put on the armor of God and be prepared to take a stand for what is right. It takes great courage to stand up in the face of conflict, ridicule, and persecution. I want to mention something. Pastor Levi Lusko published a book in 2015. It was titled, Through the Eyes of a Lion. Some of you may have read that book. One of the most interesting concepts that he wrote about is running toward the roar. Most of us have seen a National Geographic or Discovery Channel special, and we've seen lions hunting in the plains of Africa. What you may not know is this, that it's not the males, but it's the females, the lionesses, that are actually the hunters. The males are inherently too slow and lazy. Now, some of you women here may think that's a description of your husband. I hope not. But the male does play a specific role, however. He will get on one side of the watering hole where the gazelles or the wildebeests have chosen to bathe, and he'll let out a ferocious roar that could be heard for five miles out and just rattle the nerves of anything in that path. The roar is supposed to scare the prey into running away. What the prey doesn't know is that the lionesses have placed themselves strategically on the opposite side of the watering hole. So when the wildebeest runs away from the roar, thinking he's going to be safe, he's running straight into an ambush. If they would have run toward the roar, even though that seems counterintuitive and frightening, they would actually be able to probably scamper away and save their life. The male lion is the one that makes all the noise, but he's not as dangerous as the female. The females are the ones that do the majority of the killing. The females don't make any noise, and yet they're the most dangerous. The male lion's bark is much more dangerous than his bite. 
So if you want to be in a safe place around a lion, you have to learn to run to the roar. doesn't make sense, but it's what we learn from the lions. You know, we can learn a lot from God's creation. Job 12.7 says, Ask the animals and they will teach you. If the gazelles and the zebras would run to the roar, they would have a much better chance of getting past the male lion because he's slower. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9, we're told this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Satan is like a roaring lion, seeking those who he may devour. He wants to devour individuals. He wants to devour nations. But the Bible says this, he is like. He always wants to imitate God, doesn't he? But he doesn't have the power. We have authority. Here's my point. Christians shouldn't be running from the threat. Running is a sure way of allowing the devil to gain territory. It's a way of getting spiritually slaughtered. The reality is this. As Christians, we are not in danger of being devoured by the enemy. He has no claim over our lives. We are a new creation, and we're no longer slaves to the curse of sin and death. The enemy will attempt to scare us into defeat, as his intention is what? To steal, kill, and destroy. We know that. Verse 9 instructs us to resist the devil and be steadfast, realizing that if we do suffer while we're fighting the evil, we're not alone. Repeat this after me. When I face evil or adversity, I will not be afraid. I will run to the roar. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. Running away and being silent and laying low should not be the Christian's response. Hebrews 10, 38 says, here's the Lord speaking, the Lord declares, I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Not only are we fighting the more recent issues of government overreach and COVID-related excuse for more control and violation of our rights, but we have many other issues that calls us to get into the battle. The Bible teaches that God created male and female. He instituted the family to bring order to society. But gender and family are under attack. Also, the government on every level from local to federal is promoting critical race theory, which is nothing more than reverse racism. God created all people equal, declaring there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. School boards across our nation are incorporating anti-Christian and anti-patriotic ideas into their curriculum. They're teaching our kids to hate each other and to hate their country and to bow down to government. This indoctrination is a technique straight out of the communist playbook. The success of the American Revolution was due to the successful outcome of many local battles. We must never become blinded to what's happening at the local level. So many times we think, oh, if we could just get the right president in office, everything is going to be fine. But it really starts at the local level. If everyone would do their part on the local level and the churches would stand up in their local territory, it wouldn't take long to turn this nation around. 
The real war is happening in places like our city hall and the local school board. Sometimes we fail to take notice of what's right in front of us. In the American Revolution, it was the local communities defending the local communities, and they would stand up and say, this is our community, you're not going to do it here. Amen. The takeaway from this is that we can achieve a national victory when we obtain local results. In running to the roar, more Christians need to step forward and enter the fight, and the fight begins at the local level. Our Christian values will not affect society when we keep our beliefs behind closed walls. You know, I saw a sign in front of a church recently that I was driving by, uh, and it's kind of a, a good example, I think, of what's happened to the American church. The church sign said, This church is a hospital for wounded saints. And no wonder the devil's taken ground. Much of American's Christi- American Christianity spends its time treating victims of the devil rather than fighting him. Let me say that again. They spend time treating the victims of the devil rather than fighting him. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times when we need healing. There's times when we need to take a, uh, maybe a little break from being in the battle, get, get shored up, come in and sit under teaching, get encouraged. But that's not our lifestyle. There's times when we all need some healing. I'm not saying that. So it, but here's the thing. Harvest Church is not a good example of the way the typical American church is because I believe you guys are fighters. You know, and sadly, the historical thing is it tends to be the people with the non-Christian views that are normally most involved in our communities. You ever notice that? I don't know how it is for sure in Norfolk, but I know in Omaha, as I look at the school boards and the elected officials, many times it's the yeah, and I, and not, I, whether or not they're Christians, I don't know, but it's the more liberal, non-conservative values that have infiltrated. Many times we've allowed ungodly and lost people to control our entire country from the bottom up because Christians have refused to get involved. If we are to see a Christian revolution that begins with small-town America as believers get elected to city councils, get elected to school boards, as they volunteer in the Chamber of Commerce or whatever organization you feel led to be involved with where you can have an influence. I'm closing now. Am I okay, Pastor Mike? Okay. Let me go back to Ephesians chapter 6 where the Bible says we should be engaged in spiritual battle. And I promise you I'm winding up. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 11 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In verses 10 through 11, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So before you put on the armor of God and enter into battle, he tells us to be strong. This statement means we must find courage. And at the beginning of the message, I said those that signed the Declaration of Independence exhibited courage that we rarely see today. And it's the courage that they had that led to America's fight for independence and that that freedom began a year earlier actually with the church. Paul was echoing words from the Old Testament when he said, be strong in the Lord. For example, in Joshua 1.7, God said, Be strong and very courageous. 
that you may observe to do all according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. It takes courage to stand on the word of God, especially when people seem to be turning to the right hand and to the left hand as quickly as possible. Second Chronicles 32, 7 through 8. When Judah was under attack by the Assyrians, King Hezekiah encouraged the people with these words. He said, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria or his mighty army, for there is a power that's far greater on our side. He may have a great army, but they are merely men. We have the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles for us. Hezekiah's words greatly encouraged the people. And you might be here today and you're feeling alone or even hopeless to make a difference. And you say, Pastor Doug, how do I move forward to accomplish what God wants me to do? Well, let me end with this today. I want to just mention, in fact, you don't even have to put those slides up because I'm just going to breeze through this one quickly, okay? So you can just stop with the slides at this point. But let me just bring three points to you real quickly as we close. First of all, seek God earnestly for direction in your life. That's where it all starts. Trust in the Lord with your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he'll show you which path to take. That's good for every one of us to take evaluation, isn't it? To seek God and what he wants us to do so that we're not going off on another path. And he tells us in James 1.5, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and he'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. And a lot of times we miss the boat just because we haven't sought the Lord to decide and see where he wants us to go. And then number two is plant yourself in your church. Psalm 92, 13 says, Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They'll bear fruit, in other words. When you flourish, you bear fruit. So if you don't plant yourself, what do I mean plant yourself? Well, what I'm saying is you support their vision. God will never promote you until you support and promote the vision of the authority you're under. So if you're not plugged in here, you're not serving, um, then I would say repent and go to Pastor Mike or Pastor Kathy and say, what can I do to serve the vision? And it might be working in the nursery. It might be greeting. It might be doing a wonderful job in the parking lot. Like, you have great people out here. I mean, I pulled in today, and they were there showing me where to park. It's like, this is great. And so plant yourself. And so many times you just put your hand to what the Lord would have for you here and he will promote you. And maybe you have a ministry. Maybe someday you'll be speaking from this pulpit. But Pastor Mike's not going to acknowledge that until he sees you serving. And then maybe the Lord will show him someday, hey, that person has a gift. He has a calling. And maybe you don't, but that's okay because if you're serving where you're called, that's where you'll flourish. And then he can promote you to move on to whatever he's called you to do. It's the Lord that ordained the church, not men. And some people don't understand that, that the church was God's plan for bringing the gospel to the earth, to the world, to mankind. That was God's plan for man through the local church. And these lone rangers that go out and think, well, I'm just going to do it on my own and I'll just, you know, Go my own way. I don't, need a, I don't need an authority in my life. I don't need a pastor. I don't need anyone that I have. I'm just going to trust God to do it. And I'm going to serve God. They're out of order. God ordained the local church. 
So find the church. If this isn't your church, I'm not trying to run people off, but this isn't your church to be at, you don't feel comfortable, you don't feel called here, then find where God has you to be planted and serve with all your might. Amen. And then, I promise you I'm ending, but this is my third point. Do not allow yourself to become entangled. Another reason why people don't find and fulfill their calling is entanglement. 2 Timothy 2.4, Timothy encouraged us to be good soldiers, advising us to not be distracted from our calling or our duty. Do not be entangled in the affairs of this life so that we may please him who's called us to be a soldier, is basically what he's saying here. So the cares of this world is the final point that hold us back. First of all, we don't seek God. Secondly, we don't plant ourselves in a church. And thirdly, we get consumed by the cares of the world. Jesus made a statement in two places in the same gospel, and he said, many are called, but few are chosen. He says it in Matthew twenty-two fourteen. He says it again in Matthew twenty sixteen. And if Jesus says the same exact words two times in the same gospel, it must be important. He says this, for many are called, but few are chosen. How many are called? Really, everyone is called. All believers have a call in their life. All of us have gifts. However, Jesus said only a few are chosen or appointed to fulfill that call. Why are only a few chosen or appointed? And here's the reason, I believe. It's because of entanglement. Only a few will forsake their own desires, their lust for money, the relationships that hinder them, and other entanglements that would keep them from the call of God in their lives. So as God reveals those entanglements or weights that are holding you back, ask for his strength to sever those ties and move on with what God's called us to do. Amen? Amen. Let's stand today, and I want to pray for you. Father God, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for Harvest Church and what the mighty things that you're doing here. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you'll continue to work for, with every person that's here, every person here that has a desire to serve you, to move forward in the calling that you've, gift, that you've gifted them in, the anointings that they have. Help us to understand, Lord, there's not a higher calling necessarily than another. Yes, the calling to the ministry and being in full-time service is a very important because you establish pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets, and that's an important calling, Lord. We understand that, but... You don't look at it as a higher calling because the most important thing is that we do what you've called us to do. You do what, and Lord, we, we as pastors are accountable for the sheep that's under us. And I know it's Pastor Mike's heart, it's Pastor Kathy's heart that everyone in this house move into everything God's called them to do and that they are excited, they're blessed when people do that. And so I thank you, Lord, for every person here. And if there's someone here today, and you say, Pastor Doug, you kind of stepped on my toes, but I see that I need to do some things in my life. I need to make a change. I need to adjust something in my life so that I'm no longer entangled. Or maybe I need to seek you, Lord, more for what direction you have in my life. Or maybe, maybe the Lord's even calling you to public service, you know, to get involved in the local city council or to, to run for the school board or whatever. But I'm not going to ask you to come up today. I want every head bowed and eyes are closed, but I want to pray for those. If there's anyone here, just raise your hand now and say, Pastor Doug, I want you to pray for me because what you said today affected me and I I feel drawn to, to make some changes. I see a hand over here. I see another one, two. Anyone else here? I'm going to give you a chance. I want to pray for you today. Three, 
in the back here. Okay, I see a couple others. So, Father, those that raise their hands today, specifically asking you to help them, I pray for strength in their lives. I pray for wisdom from above, that you would guide them, direct them, you would order their steps. Lord, you would show them what to do, and that they would seek godly counsel, but they seek you most of all, Lord for your direction in their lives. And Lord, if there's any entanglements that they need to break free of, I say, in Jesus' name, you will have the power and authority to do that because you're called of God and you have the power, the power and authority over any satanic hold in your life and you can break free from that today if you have the desire. And I thank you, Lord, for that. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. I think I'm done, Pastor Mike. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Years, many, many years ago when I was a young minister, I thought one of the churches I was attending was getting too political. I was wrong. How many times would you hear preachers say they were wrong? And it's time, folks. He said, well, what can we do? He said, ask the preacher what you can do. We've given you two opportunities, Convention of States. Patriots United. That's what we're doing right now. So get involved. That was a word in season. That was a history lesson. And we all needed it. Amen. We're going to bless these two pastors. Is that all right? And uh, if you need an envelope for your giving, make your checks payable to Harvest Church, and then we'll reimburse them with the whole amount. We give it all to them. Amen. Amen. Any announcements that I need to make? Six, Patriots United, 6 o'clock Tuesday. Then Wednesday at 6 o'clock is Christmas practice. And then prayers at 7. I need some men. We have to have a funeral Wednesday. Um, I need some men to set up some tables. How many tables do you think we should set up? Okay. So I would... So I wouldn't set all the tables up, but you guys, between the round tables and uh, the other tables, just so we have enough for about, I would say, shoot for 100, 120. If you'd stay just a few minutes and help us do that, we would appreciate it and get the chairs around. God bless you, too. God bless the Lord of hosts and what he's doing. Amen. I always, I've always, I've told you this a long time ago. I've said it many times. My dad was a great golfer. He said, Mike, if you want to play good golf, play with good golfers. Yeah. You're good golfers. <laughs> amen. In other words, you're, amen, there's an anointing on what they're doing. And I, I do believe someday we'll see Pastor Hank. I'm not even concerned about it. Amen. Praise God. Well, God bless you. Have a good week.